0: Hello and welcome everyone. I am Jake Wurzak and this is Masters of Moments. This podcast features conversations with the top entrepreneurs and business leaders around hospitality, real estate, investing, and company building. We explore the ideas, strategies, and approaches that brought them to where they are today. Hear the insights, behind the scenes secrets, and methods you can't find anywhere else. This podcast is for you if you are a seasoned investor, an upstart entrepreneur, or someone looking to break into the real estate and hospitality investing world. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at JayWrzak on Twitter. And if you have enjoyed this show, I'd be incredibly grateful if you followed us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you listen to. We record on video so you can always find all of our episodes on YouTube and be sure to subscribe. Thank you so much for joining me and enjoy the show. My guest today is Bashar Wally. Bashar leads two companies, Practice Hospitality and This Assembly. This conversation was so fun. We talked everything from how Bashar got started in the industry to building hotels, his focus on design and the human touch, how he sprinkles what he calls fairy dust to make the magic, what are his biggest pet peeves and really how to build an enduring hospitality brand and where he draws inspiration from. Please enjoy my conversation today with Bashar Wally. Bashar, welcome to Masters of Moments. Thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to go down the rabbit hole with you.
1: Get busy living or get busy dying, friend, let's go.
0: I love it. I don't even know what we're gonna, like where we should start. Because there's going to be so much we're going to go into. So one place that came to mind is just to give everyone, the whole audience, a little bit of background of how you found your way to Provenance. And we could start with a little bit of the foundation.
1: So I am a dumb immigrant off the boat, came to the US to go to college. And because I didn't know any better, I decided to study hotel management. Who would have thought? So finished college and literally started from the ground up. And, you know, people often talk about management training programs and all this fancy stuff. I, there no management training program. I got out of college and literally worked every possible job you can imagine in the hospitality industry. When I say I cleaned toilets, like I cleaned toilets for a while, not for a week, kind of moving around following a housekeeper. I made eggs. I did all the things you can imagine. And I think it's such an amazing foundation that helps you in the future, and you're sort of begrudgingly doing it as you're doing it, but you realize it's value long-term. I kind of spent my career in operations for the first probably 10 years plus, managed one hotel, managed multiple hotels, paid my dues as it were, worked in a hotel during Y2K, carrying a radio and a pager and waiting for the world to end. And from there, I sort of switched to the real estate side of the business, always inside of hotel companies, and started doing deals, doing renovations, doing refinancing. And it's interesting because I tell people, I literally could go fry you a couple of mean eggs, and I'm happy to go to and negotiate a $500 million CMBA deal for you. So it's always refreshing to have that background because I feel that it's empowered me. If I'm going to go tell someone you're not doing it right, it's because I've done. So... In 2006, I was in Portland, Oregon, doing my own thing, ended up joining Provenance Hotels, which was a family real estate business, I call it. And I really took it from a family real estate business to a hotel company, sort of owner operator for 15, 16 years. And, you know, we early did sort of these independent, I love using that word because people talk about boutique and lifestyle and all of that. Ultimately, I'd say independent. Each hotel had its independent spirit. And for the last two years now, I have three years now, I have my own. I have two companies, one called Practice Hospitality, a hotel management company, sort of specializing in what I call the magic fairy dust that you can't really quantify or put a price tag on because there's a lot of great operators out there, but not many get it, as you know. And then I have another company called Disassembly, and that company is essentially Whatever I wake up in the morning and want to tinker with, that's what I sort of dump. That whether it's real estate investment, venture investment, et cetera. So I've come to a place where I really want to do what I tell people, if it doesn't set your soul on fire, it's not worth the burn. So I have one company that pays the bills, which is great. And I have another where I sort of exercise passion.
0: And just to clarify, which one pays the bills? Practice hospitality, the management company. So that pays the bills. All right, we're going to get to all that, but I want to just hang on something you said, which is really starting from the ground up and doing all the jobs in the industry. Now you're in the cool part of hospitality. You have it figured out. You have the fairy dust. But do you think a lot of your peers and colleagues have scrambled eggs and clean toilets or did they just get cool And does that give you an advantage over others, if so?
1: I would say anyone who says they're cool, by definition, is not cool. Because all the cool people that I know don't say they're cool, right? They just are. So I think this idea of cool, this elusive cool, dope, as it were, I think some people just live in that world naturally. And it's a function of, look, if you put on a persona for your company, that is not you it's a recipe for failure and disaster. You kind of have to do it. It has to be you. It has to come from inside of you. So the cool part, let's park that aside for a minute. On the operating side, I think paying your dues has been valuable for me. It's definitely not necessary. There's fantastic people out there that have never cleaned a toilet sort of officially in their life and still very successful. I just feel that it grounds you and it gives you a true foundation and understanding of the blight of our people, right? Like we, a lot of our people have shitty jobs, no pun intended. Like these aren't glamorous jobs. And I think if you've done them, truly have done them and have an appreciation for them, it just informs you better as an operator. So that's more on the technical side. On the cool side, again, look, I tell people being relevant is hard work. And I'll give you this example if you allow me for a minute, I'll digress. Back in the 2000s, and the late 90s, There were hotel gods in my world. Gods, right? Like these guys, mostly guys, sadly, that wore Brioni suits, spoke five languages, had a secretary that they were sleeping with because that was part of the deal, traveled the world. And they thought they knew everything. And those are the guys who said, oh, that internet thing is a fad that's going to go away. Those guys today, they were hotel gods, are calling me looking for work. And you say, like, what happened to you? Like, you were God. And what happened to them is they thought they knew everything. And they thought they don't need to learn anymore. And, you know, from our, our connection together, like I'm a perpetual student. So one of my claim to fame, for those who don't know, is I never stay in any hotel more than once or one night. New York, three nights means three new hotels every single time. I'm at 229 in Manhattan is my current count. And people say, are you crazy? Like, why do you do that? Because I say the minute I think I know everything, I'm dead. So again, do you need to wear Supreme clothes? No, but you should know that Louis Vuitton did a deal with them because it shows you that even these old venerable brands are starting to pay attention to the next generation. And if you don't, you're left behind. So again, cool doesn't come naturally; it's hard work, especially for you know my age. Certainly, maybe less so to your age, but you've got to work hard to be in the know and have your. I say I have my finger on the pulse of unpopular culture because it's not about following trends; it's about truly understanding what's happening in the zeitgeist of generationally what's happened.
0: So what did the guys in the Brioni suits miss?
1: I think they they thought they knew everything and they were masters of their own domain and they stopped paying attention and learning and they stopped listening to the young guys and gals in their shop because they knew better. And I think the minute you think you know everything in any space, in any world, you're dead. You just might as well retire.
0: So in your world, which from the foundation was heavily based and independent. When, and and maybe it didn't happen at your hotels, but at some point it felt like a little bit of the hospitality element left and it was highly focused on design and there was a supermodel at the front desk and you were doing someone a favor just checking in. Did you ever fall victim of that? Maybe was that a good strategy? Interested on your take?
1: I think it became, here's what I talk a lot about, this idea that, We have lost our way in our business because you're absolutely right. Our business became about shock and awe. Just because I have a lot of money and I want to be cool and I want to go buy a $20 million piece of art and stick it in my hotel doesn't mean anything. So what happened is we got caught in this rat race. I had to out-design your hotel and out-brand your hotel and out-model your hotel. And we truly lost our way because fundamentally, I say, we're in the business of feelings. Sure, we provide shelter and you need to have good design and good food and beverage. And, and, and these are table stakes. But the way you're going to win me is to make me feel a certain way when I walk into your building. Even though all those things are important, I sort of say I have this quote that says, I want to feel the warmth of your hospitality walking into your lobby blindfolded. Because to me, hospitality, it's about how you make people feel. We talk about service and services. Anyone can do that. Like I was at the dentist this morning. They provided me a service. I get my oil changed. They provide me a service. Hotels do provide a service and done by robots in many cases. Now, as you know, I order a towel and some R2-D2 shows up at my room with the towel. Great. Hospitality is how you make people feel. And that comes from humans, not from things. So people ask me, by the way, 229 hotels. What do you remember? I can't tell you what flooring material was at the Baccarat bathroom because who gives a shit? I can't tell you what art is hanging on the wall at uh, Crosby because who gives a shit? I know it was beautiful. I know it was in keeping with the style of the hotel that I stayed in, but that's not what I remember. What I remember is when someone goes out of their way and genuinely gives a shit about me. Because no matter what anyone tells you, by the way, we humans want to be somebody. You know those guys that say, oh, I don't want to be anybody. I want to be in the background. Bullshit. We all want to be somebody. And I use this example all the time of Cheers, the bar that show that's lost on most people now because we're getting old. Shears never said we're most award-winning, we have the biggest wine list, we have, we have, they said where everyone knows your name. You know why? Because that's what people care about and remember. And scientifically, if you believe in this sort of Maslow's hierarchy of need, right, where he says at the bottom, you need shelter and food and water and blah, blah, blah. But at the top, you need self-actualization and self-actualization is I am somebody, I matter. You know me, you care about me. So I think that's what we've missed out on. And look, We all get caught up in the trends and we all want to do art and music and curated coffee and blah, blah, blah. As long as you don't lose sight of that piece, you win. If you lose sight of that piece, you
0: lose. So can you train that as a hotel leader of a management company? Is that something you train and how do you go through that process?
1: Great question. I think you can train someone how to provide service. It's much harder to train someone how to be hospitable. For example, I'm going to pick on my friends at Ritz Carlton. Ritz Carlton had the credo card, ladies and yeah. gentlemen serving, ladies and gentlemen. And you had to memorize that thing. I could perform that task seamlessly and beautifully and be the most miserable human you ever met because it seems very robotic, right? So the way I think about it now, and in fact, I'm working on this with a with a school of hospitality dean, to me, the there's two things that matter in a hotel person at large period, two skills that matter the most. Common sense, which is very uncommon, as you know, and emotional intelligence. So emotional intelligence is the piece where we're trying to figure out, can we create a test specific for the hospitality industry that tells me before I hire you, Jake, that when you take this test, it informs my decision to say, Jake has the aptitude to be emotionally intelligent. And then from there, craft a program. I don't like the word training because, again, I can train a dog. I can train a robot. Set up a space set up a culture that celebrates your creativity and allows you the optionality to be emotionally intelligent in your own way. Because you can't put a box around it, right? We have to let you be emotionally intelligent. And what I ask of you is, as my employee, now that you have that aptitude, Jake, I want everyone that walks through the store to feel good, whatever that means. By the way, for me, that means don't talk to me. Don't tell me about the spa. Don't tell me anything. Hand me my key. For you, it may mean They're going to spend half an hour bitching about your flight and the TSA agents and, 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 and. So if we can figure out how to teach our people to give each guest what they want, not what corporate tells them the guest wants, I think that's the magic and that's success. It's really hard to do. And I think it's more culture, less training.
0: It's so annoying when I check into a hotel and I'm walking to the front desk with my bag and they ask me if I'm here to check in. What else (laughs) am I there to do, right? Right.
1: Jake, my last name is four letters. I literally walk in like this. I'm like, my hand is extended out. And I have credit card, and the license in hand. And I walk up they're like at 11 o'clock at night. I'm like checking in. I'm like, actually, I was looking to buy some cocaine. Do you happen to have any? <laughs> like, what kind of stupid question is that? But that's what we've been trained to do. And it's so robotic and it's so terrible in my mind. And by the way, I disagree with anyone who says, this is how we say hello. You must say good afternoon. You must use the guest name three times. Who gives a shit about any of that stuff anymore? That seems so 1992. Like, give me what? Read body language and say this guy clearly is in a hurry. He doesn't want to talk to me. Mr. Wally, here's your key. Go away. Literally, I'm happy. Five star. You start telling me about the spa. You know it's 11 o'clock at night. The spa's closed. I'm here for one night, leaving at seven. Why are you wasting your breath? Again, emotional intelligence. It's not training. It's emotional intelligence.
0: So when you came into Provenance, this was a family business. They had some pretty interesting assets, some great bones, right? Were, was the vibe there or is that something that you work to create through the evolution of your time?
1: I mean, When I came in, there were four hotels, so there weren't that many. And I would say because the founder was art-centric and a collector himself, there was a lot of art. But art, again, is one piece. And please forgive me for saying this word, storytellers, because I'm so sick and tired of that word and what it means anymore. <laughs> But the idea is when I go to the win or when I go to whatever hotel it is. Yeah. The win and Steve Wynn happens to own a Picasso and he puts it in the lobby, who gives a shit? Like, why is it there? There's no context. I think it's all about creating context to the story. And early days, we were into sort of finding that. And again, please don't throw up in your mouth as I say these words that are, I hate so much. You're hitting all the buzzwords. Thank you. We'd find these creators and these doers and makers that were doing interesting shit, right? Like truly interesting shit. And we would go to them and we would say, listen, we want you to be part of our family. We want you to make money. We want to give you exposure. No money for us. We don't want your money, but we want our guests to experience your cool shit. So come do it with us. So when we're doing those things early on, these programmatic things, not many people were doing them. Like in Portland, Oregon, we did, by the way, the first beehive on a roof where we would take the honey from that beehive and use it in the food and the beverage and sell it in the minibar. And there was this crazy guy in town who would like was a beekeeper. And there was the blight of bees, the bees were dying. And of course, every lawyer and insurance company and corporate guy would say, don't do it. And we would say, fuck it, we're doing it anyway. Like those to me were innovative things that were not about shock and awe. They were truly thoughtful about creating a handcrafted, unique local experience. So I would say the foundation was there, that it was happening with things. And where we turned it and we really discovered that that's the magic is you don't do it with things, you do it with people. Don't go buy the most cool thing in town because everyone knows about it. Go find the undiscovered person yet, bring them in, give them an audience, give them a stage. And if they win, by default you've won.
0: And how do you think of programmatic ventures today? Because a lot of the brands, you know, copied your beehive and like just said, okay, go buy a beehive from beehives.com and stick it on your roof. Like, ah, we're winning now. How do you think about it in such a way where it feels curated? It gets harder and harder.
1: It gets harder and harder, as you know, because what is a boutique hotel anymore? What is a lifestyle lifestyle anymore? The Hampton Inn now has a rotating gallery in the lobby and they have live music and they use local coffee. So the bar gets higher and higher. And in my opinion, back to your earlier point, people have figured that let's throw things at people And we'll impress them that way. And it's become hard to stand out. And this is the race to the bottom, as you know, for us owners, because all you're doing is you're adding more cost, adding more cost, and you're competing for the same customer. So the way I think about it now is this idea of if you really think about the guest journey emotionally, right? Forget that. CRM and all that business, those are table stakes. We shouldn't be talking about those anymore. But if you think about the guest journey sort of emotionally and how you make them feel as they come into your hotel, I think the pendulum has swung. We swung way too far to shock and awe and things. And I'm starting to see, by the way, funny enough, you see the latest Four Seasons campaign. And I'm like, where were you 10 years ago when I was preaching this shit about really focus on the human at the center of this experience? By the way, I grew up in the Middle East and I love this quote. I tell people this is the quote why I got into the business. When a stranger shows up at your door, feed him for three days before you ask who he is, where he's from, and where he's going to, because by then, he'll either have the strength to answer, or you'll be such good friends, it won't matter. There's your Cornell four-year degree. I just saved you 500 grand. You're welcome. Fundamentally, that is our business. The quote didn't say, decorate your tent and put out lights, and didn't say, take out your best china, because none of that matters, right? What matters is you made that person feel that they've arrived, they're safe, they're part of the family. This, by the way, I've trademarked this sentence for hospitality, longing for belonging. Humans at large are longing for belonging. That's why this private club movement, I think, is just a function of, I want to find a place to belong. Where do I belong? Oh, I'm in Soho house. Oh, I'm at the NED. Oh, I'm at the whatever, right? No House. So I think if you manage to find that beautiful art of making someone feel at home when they arrive, that's what's going to win you the game. Again, Of course, you have to have curated coffee. And of course, and of course, and of course. But I feel that those things have become so ubiquitous. They're table stakes. They're the price of admission. Those things don't win you the game. They get you in the game. The way you win the game, in my opinion, is largely now emotional because we humans have come to a place where everything has become ubiquitous and everything has been democratized. Like Cool Taste is democratized. You can look it up. Curb tells you how to build a cool hotel now. How do you win it? I think fundamentally, if you truly believe in this idea of Maslow's hierarchy of need and you that believe at the very top is self-actualization, self-actualization is just that. I'll give you a simple example. I'm whatever, diamond on delta. I go to the gate. My name is on the list and it's number one. Sure, I'll take the upgrade, but I don't feel special because that upgrade is a mathematical formula. No one at corporate said, oh, Bashar Wali, he's a really good guy. We better give him an upgrade because he matters. It's a mathematical formula. Same in hotels. I'm VIP. I don't want to be a VIP. I want to be me. So if you can figure out who I am and do something personalized for me, I'm yours for life. I am literally yours for life.
0: So do you have a great example that one of your team members have done for someone else or that's been done to you at a hotel to make you feel that way? Which, by the way, I'm still trying to reconcile with like how you stay in 200 plus hotels in New York City, but then also want the belonging. So you got to tell me about that too, because there's eventually a hotel that you're going to want to come back to.
1: Absolutely. And there is. And for me, it's more, it's not about me looking for belonging. It's about me learning that everyone is looking for belonging because of my neurotic travel. I sort of feel that I have a good pulse on what's happening. So I do it for education. But at the end of the day, I want to feel special. and I want to feel that I belong. And there's Crosby in New York, one of my favorite hotels. I'll go the there best. again and again, yeah. right? Like all day long, because I feel that I belong, right? Like I feel like I've arrived. This is home. So what can you do to accomplish this sort of again? Push the button for someone to have hit se- self-actualization. So for me, I did a TED talk on this where it's long, it's a long story, I won't waste time on it now. But the idea is someone went and found something personal about me and gave me something in the room. And the story goes, someone I like the show blackish, right? But not on show, not on TV anymore, but it was recently on there. So I get this amenity in a room with the wine and the cheese and all that stuff. And there's a note in there that says, blah, blah, blah. Welcome, you know, all the bullshit that you get at every single hotel. And at the bottom, it said, P.S. The show blockish is on channel eight at nine o'clock tonight. Mind blown. So of course, I open up my computer uh, browser in private. I look up my name and realize that the public portion of my Facebook profile said that I like that show. That's it. That's all you have to do. I am yours for life. And by the way, I will not forgive a lot of your physical sins old hotel, thin walls, whatever, I'll forgive all of that because you made me feel that I matter. Not that I'm a VIP, because the VIP was the tray, the fruit tray and the wine who gives a shit. You made me feel that I matter because you took 30 seconds of your time to learn about me. So I think that's the magic. And by the way, you can't do this at a thousand-room hotel, but you also don't have to do it for every single person. So, and now, by the way, technology enables us to do that. Like there's a lot of technology that scrapes the web and will say, Jake likes, I don't know, whatever. So let's give Jake a bourbon when he comes up to the bar without I am asking, because that's what's going to make him feel, holy shit, I am somebody. So I think if you do it for enough people and in the kind of hotels you and I do sort of reasonable size, you can accomplish that goal. But to me, it's really about sort of starting that process. Do it for one guest a day, then do it for 10, then do it for 20. And you'll be amazed. I mean, you know what happens with sort of grassroots marketing. Someone will tell someone and before you know it, you don't need to market anymore. You are it. You are the hotel.
0: So, so does the personalization come in with them finding something about you, maybe online or in what's out there in the world, and then putting their own spin on it? Because it seems like then Hilton or marriott could, get, could just come along and say, Google everyone and write them a little note based on their last Twitter post.
1: They can and will if they're smart. And I think that would be to my satisfaction that everyone in our industry realizes the power of this idea. I say, by the way, the future of luxury is ultra personalization, ultra personalization. It's no longer about ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. It's no longer about spending five hours at Noma for a 90 course dinner. Like nobody wants that. We want what we want, and we want to feel that it's being done for us, to us only. So I think the more we learn, and by the way, there's a little bit of a big brother thing here. Like, you can get creepy into this territory. You've got to be careful. But I think fundamentally, here's, I'll give you an example. I am titanium elite on Marriott, their top status. I've stayed in many, many, many Marriott's over the years. I like my room 64 degrees year round. Winter, summer, I don't care if I'm in the Arctic Circle or if I'm in Brazil. You would think once ever out of all these Marriott hotels, Titanium Elite, 20% of your customers give you 80% of your business. Someone would turn that temperature down in advance of my arrival, which they can do remotely, as you know, and take credit for it and say, hey, we got you. We know you like your room cold. We turned it down for you. Not once. So these big brands that have these CRM systems that we could never dream of, we independent guys, they have the resources to spend on it. And if they haven't figured it out yet, it's going to take them a long time to figure it out. So to me, we have an opportunity for a little while to capture that audience and really become the innovators. But sadly, as you know, copying is the best form of flattery. I mean, think about the soft brands. Those were created because of what we did, right? We independents. They realize we're eating their lunch, so they jump in and they're going to do it again and again. And the goal is to remain on the cutting edge of what matters, not what's trendy. This trend is a losing proposition. You're going to spend yourself into bankruptcy. You've got to focus on what moves people and generationally, it's changing, right? Like think about it generationally now. Gen Z and this work from home business. And how do you attend to that? And how do you create environments that celebrates that behavior and encourages it, not shames it? So I think, I think, look, this is back to my earlier point. You've got to stay current. You've got to keep up. You can't say, I figured it out. I got art. I got coffee. I got, I got, I got check done. I'm going to go sit at home and put my feet up and enjoy. You've got to constantly stay and evolve. Because, you know, whatever the quote goes, evolve or die or something like that. Like you've got to stay relevant and informed.
0: So you've owned hotels, you've managed hotels, you've invested in hotels. Is there a size that you look for that would be prohibitive on the small or the large sides to size to say, no, I can't do this?
1: I mean, it's funny. I wish I could give you that sort of hard and fast rule. You know how it goes. We get enamored too quickly. And I assume you and I fall in that same category. I would say realistically, 150 seems to be the magic number for what I do. You know, urban, city center, sort of business and leisure hotels. Anything above 300 becomes, it loses its soul a little bit. And anything below 100, just the math doesn't work. I mean, you know how the math work on fixed versus variable cost. I feel that. 120 to 270, if I had to give you a scientific bookend. And I'd say 175 sits right in the middle of that. And that's just a sweet spot that allows you to be creative, innovative. You could do things, you could test things. And it's a manageable size that makes you enough money. There's margin at the end of the day.
0: And when you're underwriting one of these deals, let's say you find this perfect 150 room hotel, looks pretty on the outside, has amazing bones. How do you think about underwriting an independent hotel versus a branded hotel when you're looking at the other hotels in the market?
1: I mean, look, I have been carrying the independent torch my whole life, and I'm the guy who stands on stage and craps on all the brands collectively, publicly happily. I love it i will say I will say things have changed a little, and I, I, I don't want to say this too loud and too publicly, but I think soft brands finally found a niche and a home particularly the ones that allow you to create a freedom because they really solve some problems for you. Biggest problem I see out there is Wall Street is too lazy because no one is getting fired for signing up a Marriott hotel. Someone might get fired for signing up Warzak hotels with no brand yep. because the boss is going to say, what the hell were you thinking? So that by virtue of their laziness, they say, I don't have to underwrite Marriott. I know what it is. It is what it is. Warzak, I have to actually learn about and do the work and roll up my sleeves and blah, blah, blah. So I see a bias on Wall Street for branded because they think it's a downside protector. Now, look, if I'm going to do an 800-room hotel outside of Des Moines, of course, it's going to have a brand on it. But the question is, does a hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. need a brand? And the question is, how do people, again, back to human behavior, I'm a keen observer of human behavior, not trends. So I sort of watch how people look for hotels and book hotels. And not through my lens, because I'm old. I want to look at sort of generationally. How does my 21-year-old look at hotels and book for hotels? And where does he get his advice from? So you're starting to see the value of brands disappear. And it has been for a long time over the years. Now, people talk about loyalty. There's no loyalty. It's a bribery system. Come stay with me. I'll give you points. The owner is paying for the points. That's purely bribery. It's not loyalty. However, the soft brands, I think, have a place. They are a good downside mitigator just because they have the power. Let I me mean, think about COVID for a minute. And I have some branded hotels in my portfolio. As an independent, you're like, what do I do? And how do I, what are the protocols? And what do I use and how do I spray? Yep. Meanwhile, Merritt says, here it is. We've spent right. hundreds of thousands of dollars here it is. So I think nothing in our world is binary anymore. And you know, there's no more black and white. There's no more right or wrong. It's sort of in the middle. And I think there's a place for soft brands. I'm not a branded guy, but soft brands have a home. But generally speaking, if you're a lifestyle hotel, the two difference between independent and life and, and soft branded, in my opinion, is literally you're connected to the machine. You still have the same flexibility. You still have the same creativity with a quality standard, which I appreciate. But ultimately they give you some downside mitigation and exposure. Forget the points because generally the lifestyle seekers. You and I, if I stay at a Marriott, I'm not there because of points. I'm there because I really want to experience. Like, Edition is a great example. I look at Edition, right? I think it's a great hotel. I think they've one hotels, as, as I think of as a brand. I don't think of them as a brand, although they are a brand. I think of them as a lifestyle hotel that gives me what I want. And sure, if I happen to get points, I'm not going to turn it down. But I don't go to Edition to get points. I go to the Edition Madrid because it's a fabulous hotel, regardless of the points.
0: I was just at the addition in Tampa, and I was blown away by how well they executed everything in that property. Now there's like a lot of plants all over the place, which I've heard you talk before that it's getting, you know, a little ridiculous. It felt like you were walking into a jungle, but everything from the scent, the uniforms, the quality of the pastries, it really felt independent, and it was amazing to me that a big brand like Marriott was running that.
1: And it's you're absolutely right. And obviously, Schrager, who's a genius, had a lot to do with it. But I feel like they're carrying the torch forward elegantly, and they're doing a good job with it. I just stayed in Tokyo at the edition as well. Same thing. It was like, God, I want to see their bill for plant maintenance in this hotel, right? But it kind of works. It's, it's their stick, I guess. And this whole plants in the lobby thing, sadly, is a trend that everyone is following. Now, biophilia... Well, is it a trend that- or
0: is it... Something more than that. How do you differentiate what a trend is from the other term you used, you know, humanistic intention or something?
1: How do you know? I I think about it differently. And here's how I think about it. I think the pandemic has informed our thinking that, having open spaces is welcome like we no longer want to be in sardine cans right and we want be we want to be in touch with in nature which is sort of you know it's in our dna we all want to run into the forest because that's what we know as as a as a species yeah so i think bringing the outside in elegantly is really important whether it's visually or actually like windows by the way i think one of the most underrated amenities in a hotel room is a window that functions like i want to open the window and get some fresh air because i think about that air in my hotel room right sort of being stagnant Harry Sternlicht is a huge a proponent
0: of that as well.
1: Totally agree. And I think he's done it early on and done it well with one. So to me, the plants was sort of a knee jerk reaction to this idea of we humans want to bring the outside in. And the easiest way to do it is to throw up plants in the lobby. I think there's a more thoughtful way to figure out how to do it, whether it's actual live walls, whether it's, I don't know, thinking about it more for the benefit of the space, not just aesthetically. And I think the way we're doing it right now is purely aesthetically. So I think the distinction is, here's what I love, by the way, I, we use those words in our, in our company all the time, thoughtful and intentional. Don't do it just because. Jake, don't stick a piece of art on the wall just because. Make sure it has intention and purpose. Because that's sort of the idea of storytelling. Again, if it's intentional and thoughtful, and what thoughtful means to me is, Don't make me do backflips to accomplish what I want to accomplish just because you thought it was cool. Like, by the way, I'm a business traveler, right? I walk in my room, I have a routine. I want to be able to do that routine blindfolded. Don't make me work hard for it. So I think this plants thing, if it was more thoughtful and sort of like you said, it felt awkward in a way, like you've overdone it. So those are the two words I can't say enough about in everything in life. Thoughtful and intentional. Do it with purpose, not just because.
0: So what's... Been happening with my own personal travel is I stay in a place where I want to stay. I'm not loyal to a specific brand. I could care less about the points. Am I just rare because I'm obsessed with hotels, or are a lot of people kind of getting tired with brands and they're really more interested on what the experience is and how they feel and where they want to belong?
1: I mean, there's I'll go a couple different directions here. One, this whole again, don't throw up in your mouth. By experiences, not things, right? And I think we've heard it enough now that it's sort of become our thing. But I think part of the what's happening out there now, to to my and your satisfaction as people in the industry, back in the day, if you wanted to show off, you wore a fancy watch, you wore a fancy suit, you drove a fancy car, right? Those were your currencies to show, hey, I'm somebody. And again, to my satisfaction, travel has become the new social currency. Like literally, and I'm guilty of it myself. And literally my daughter would be like, dad, stop talking about traveling. Like you're annoying, right? Like I meet somebody and within minutes, where'd you go? Where'd you travel? What are you doing for spring break? Where'd you go for the holidays? And it's amazing because people who shouldn't travel because they have more important things to spend their money on, are willing to forego those more important things to travel. So I think people now are seeking experiences. The question is, and I love this quote also, that goes, a tourist sees what he came to see, a traveler sees what he sees. So people that are following what TikTok told them, this Instagrammable moment that you must have that are chasing it just for that moment without regards to their personal interest, that to me is pretty sad. But those who are truly seeking, and again, please forgive the quotes, don't travel to discover the world, travel to discover yourself. So when I look for places, I sort of love the Bourdain way of traveling. Like it's not about bougie, it's not about five-star. I want to sit on the floor in a home in Vietnam with a poor family and eat what they eat. Like, yep. that's how I travel. And I pick my destinations accordingly, by the way. Like, really hot on my list right now is the Eastern Caucasus, Azerbaijan, Armenia, and Georgia. Why is like, that? I don't want to go to... Because Barcelona, I love Barcelona, but I can't be fighting the crowds anymore. They've yeah. ruined this experience. And sadly, the fact that we've done well as humans economically in the last decade, plus this proliferation of travel, plus the status symbol of travel has made some places intolerable. Like, I can't go to Barcelona. You want to go to the Louvre in the summer? You're dumb. Like, don't right. waste your time. Right. Because literally, it is it is a miserable experience. Don't bother with it. Like, go in the middle of the winter, you're better off. So I'm starting to look for the undiscovered places. Albania, high on my list, right? Like, why go to Greece? By the way, it's funny. There's this Instagram account that says, Instagram, real life, and they turn the camera yep. around. They show you a thousand people waiting in line yeah. to take that shot. Is that really what you want to do? And again, back to More quotes, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Like, who are you taking that photo for? Like, who cares if you have more likes and more followers? Who gives a shit? How is it going to change your life? Wouldn't you rather have a deep conversation with your travel partner, with your life partner about life sitting in some random place in the middle of nowhere that's comfortable and cool that you create your own story? Why are you following someone else's story? Create your own. So I think from that perspective, we've gone too far again, but you asked how do i travel i travel like you like i'm looking for where i want to go what gets me excited not following some trend
0: i've started to get turned off by seeing a hotel on instagram too many times whether it's a resort or a city hotel and i'm kind of like eh. like too many people i know have been there like i kind of don't want to go there anymore and i want to move to design because one of the things i love about you is your eye for design, and not just in hotels, but whether you mentioned it, Supreme and Louis Vuitton and these collaborations. But one thing that I think is interesting, Soho House did an amazing job with curating these F&B spaces with hotels. But now it seems like a lot of people are trying to copy-paste that into their brand or their hotel. And in some ways, I'm like, okay, well, it's comfortable. That's where people want to be. But in other ways, I'm starting to get bored. So is the new way of design just tried and true? Or do you have to like come up with some trendy thing to be relevant?
1: It's funny. So I'm in LA four nights. I stay in four different hotels. I wake up on the fifth morning and I say, take the signs off of those buildings, shuffle them and put them back up randomly. I wouldn't know the difference. Right. So again, design has become ubiquitous. And sure, Soho House early on really had a sense of style that was their own, sort of textures and layers. And it was the room felt like your rich uncle's house in England, right? Like that's yep. what it felt like. And that was their thing. But the minute it gets copied again and again, you're like, okay, kind of, I don't know, becomes too expected. And almost, it's still comfortable, right? I love Soho House room. I stayed in Austin, fantastic room. But ultimately it's there's nothing innovative or exciting about it because you've seen it again and again. Now, does that mean you throw it all away and do something different just because you want to fly your own freak flag or bake break away from the herd? Not necessarily. But I think design does need to evolve a little. And I think again, you think about how the pandemic has informed our lives, and back to my earlier comment, watch how humans interact with the space and try to accommodate them. Sure, with design, there's trends, but you know, you and I love timeless hotels. Like I walk into a hotel, I'm like, I can't tell you what year or what decade this is. It's like That's iconic. when you've truly, That's when you achieved huge success. So I think design does need to evolve. And I think copying is the best form of flattery again, right? But at some point, you have to be innovative. I'm going to give you a real example and a shout out to a friend of yours or mine. I stayed at the proper Santa Monica. I was in Santa Monica, I'm sorry, uh, Austin. I was in Austin for four nights. I stayed at Soho House, Magdalena, South Congress, and proper. I walk into proper Austin, it's refreshing, it's different, it stands out, it's got its own style, it's got its own sensibility, the uniforms are on point, by the way, most importantly, the service, and I ended up meeting the GM, Carla, amazing, and spent an hour with her at the bar. And how good is the
0: food, by the way? The food is amazing. But
1: ask me what kind of art was on the wall. I don't know. Ask me what the floor was. I don't know. You know what I know? That I talked to Carla for an hour, and it was refreshing. Like, that's what I remember. So I think when I look at their design and Kelly, you know, people sort of put Kelly in a corner and say she has a sense of style that's the same. I disagree. I think you see her evolving from sort of the early viceroy days. And now you look at the proper's like the proper San Francisco looks nothing like Santa Monica, looks right. nothing like Austin. So I feel like she's figured out how to continue to innovate and be a leader without necessarily trying too hard or being too cute or doing things that make no sense. I feel like their work is, Thoughtful and intentional in every way. And I think they accomplishes, accomplish it greatly. One is another great example. And you have one in your portfolio. I think they're similar enough, but different enough. And you feel that you feel that they're new, fresh and innovative Addition, We talked about again. I feel they hit it to me, Firmdale spectacular job. They do. And although their hotels have a look, that's her sensibility, Kit's, Kit Kemp's sensibility. They seem to really capture a moment in time that's timeless. So there's a lot of those that I love. But unfortunately, design has become ubiquitous, right? Like everybody copies everybody and it's too easy and there's too many Pinterest boards. And again, I just threw up in my mouth (laughs) and too many curved, and too many whatever. But the goal is be thoughtful, be intentional in everything you do. And you have to sort of see what's happening. I gave you the example. I'm working on a hotel ground up in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. And we're talking independent and we're talking about how do we be different how do we do things differently and we talked about the pandemic and this idea of bringing the outside in so we're spending a lot of time thinking about this concept and how do you execute in real life and how do you consider the climate don't put garage doors in a place where there's mosquitoes because that doesn't make any sense right like you have to really be thoughtful about it so i think you can't just copy paste anymore and you as an owner have to be at the table And you want to make sure you hire a design team that's innovative, not just because they've won awards, but because they really are keeping up. And it's hard work.
0: And what's the approach you use to find the design team? The the Kelly project, the proper Austin is interesting because it's a brand new building. So she's not dealing with some amazing bones. I mean, this was like glass and steel and concrete. So what do you do to find a designer to work on a project?
1: You know, I get asked this question all the time, as you know, at the design conferences we go to. And I say to people, you all underestimate the power of chemistry. Like, make sure I like you. Like, let's figure out a way to challenge each other, because that's where you're going to get the best design. I don't want you to be a yes man or woman. I don't want to say, see the Austin proper. I want to do that. Like, terrible. So I look for someone who's willing to push the boundaries in a thoughtful way, someone who I get along with. By the way, I say this now, and and it saddens me that the art of courtship in our industry, in our world is gone because we want to swipe left and right. We want immediate gratification. So I say to designers, like, I want to get to know you before I hire you to do a project. I want to know that your head sort of goes in the direction mine goes, not photocopy. I want to know you personally live an interesting life, not just at work. I'm a cool designer at home. I'm a boring person who lives in a you know photocopy sort of development who doesn't, like those things matter to me. And by the way, I tell designers a lot, like your Instagram account matters and don't show me a Pinterest board. I want to see how you live because I want to choose you because I know you have to your earlier point where you said you have good taste, not just in design, but in the food you eat, the places you go the car you like, the watch you wear, like that all tells me about you, the person. And I'm hiring an artist because designers are artists, right? I want to make sure that the artist has good taste and isn't just copying others' work. So chemistry, chemistry, chemistry. And my advice to anyone out there, service providers, courtship, courtship,
0: courtship. So are you courting multiple people or are you really kind of, you know who you want to work with?
1: Ongoing or just for a specific project? Ongoing. Because again, by the way, with employees, I sort of say... I have this thing called crush list. Like I'll meet Jake in Florida and I'll say, really cool guy. Every time I go to Florida, I'll call Jake and buy him a coffee and hang out with him. I don't have a job for him. I don't have anything for him. But when the time comes, now we like each other. He likes me and I like him. We know each other. Phone call away. And I do that across the spectrum, particularly with the things that have sort of aesthetic implication, guest experience implication. I'm not courting the HVAC guy, but I'm keeping in touch with what's happening in that world. So I'm constantly courting and you know, funny enough, the smaller firms, startup firms, a couple of people, those guys are desperate to be given a chance to show what they can do. And they're innovative because they're not stuck in a palette that they've been doing again and again. So I find sometimes that the smaller firms can do beautiful. I'll give you an example and a shout out to our friends at PLD, Parts and Labor Design. Yep. I gave them their first hotel project and it wasn't easy, right? Because they were learning things along the way. So I tell Jeremy, uh, the principal that I've paid his tuition for hotels. Absolutely. And he's gone on to do amazing work, right? In, in, uh, the Thompson in DC and the Thompson in Nashville and, 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 and they've done amazing work. So sometimes going to a smaller firm sure comes with a little bit more work for you, but the quality of the work that you get is amazing. So courtship, make sure you show off your personal taste and aesthetic, not just give me a Pinterest board of everyone else's work because that's how I'm going to choose you.
0: So let's take a live deal, the one you mentioned in Benville, Arkansas. Do you find that deal, get it under control, and then start bringing in the design team to come up with what it could be? Or are you on your own generating these ideas before or after you close on it? Like, how does that process work with buying the property?
1: That one is management only, but we have a seat at the table in terms of the design. So, and we have a very sophisticated owner with very high taste. So it was an easy plug and play, but we're at the table helping choose the designer, helping choose the branding firm, and really opining on all things that matter going forward. So in terms of the design team, we gave our recommendations, and then ultimately, we're part of the selection process. But with things that we do on our own, I'll give you another example. We bought the small deal in Palm Desert, our deal that we bought, and lots of great design firms out there, but it was a small deal, it's 25 keys, and I really wanted something innovative. So I went and found this group that has five ladies from five different firms that were sort of moonlighting on their own Yep. and hired them to do it. And like the quality of the work is just amazing because you have all these great ideas coming together and it was purely out of courtship and sort of connection in the industry. You'd never know about them because they didn't exist yet, right? It was sort of a collective, but because of our connections in the industry, we knew them and knew about them and had been in touch with them. So those are the ones where you get really interesting Things happening and you have the flexibility to be creative where you control the process. But generally speaking, if I'm doing my own deal, I want the building. And again, to throw up in your mouth time, I hire branding first because to me, I use this analogy. I'm in the theater business, right? So I have a building. That's the theater. It is what it is. I can't change it. The location is what it is. The bones are what they are. Yep. Check, 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 check. I don't want to build a set, then write a story. play on set set i want the story written first then i want to go find amazing actors and actresses to hire train and retain to tell the story then i want the set to be built to be accretive to my ability to tell the story so branding is the story interior design is the set but i don't fully write the story right i sort of bring the branding firm and i say here's this building here's what we're thinking why should anyone give a shit about this thing why does this matter So the wheels start turning. Once I feel that they've caught an idea, then you bring the interior design firm and you make them work together. Magic. And what do you ask the branding?
0: What do you ask the branding firm for? Are you like, give me a story of this hotel so that I can give something to an interior design firm? What what do
1: you give? I say I am trying to build a hotel here. And a hotel by definition is shelter. It's a commodity, it's a bed and a shower. Help me make this a lot more. Help me make. Give a consumer a reason to choose me over the 20 other cool hotels in town, thoughtfully and intentionally. So when you're buying an existing building, you start with history. It's always the easiest thing, right? What was here? What was on this building? Who worked here? What was it before? What was it called, et cetera? Yep. But sometimes yep. that's not as easy, right? And that's right. sort of the formulaic way. But then you start start saying, well, like, what about the city? What about this market? What resonates here? What hasn't been done? what do the other hotels in the competitive set offer that we can differentiate? Because really, at the end of the day, it's like everything else, else in life. You want a reason to stand out. That's it. You want someone to notice you more than the other. And it's becoming harder and harder. Like Think about New York. How do you stand out in New York? Like Name something. It's been done. But you think that, but then you go in and you're like, amazing that no one has started this. Let's do that. So I say they give us sort of the nugget of Forget the word story. It's not about a story because the story seems sort of, I don't know, superficial. It's, hey, what if we thought about doing, I don't know, some F&B thing that's unique and different. So it's not always about the holistic story. It might be a nugget that'll grab someone's attention. But I think if you manage, and, and I'm always surprised how many people design first, then they bring a branding company because people think branding is a logo. That's identity. Here's what I say. Brand identity, you control 100%. I can tell you the name, I can tell you the logo, the font, the color, the pantone to use. I can tell you all of that. Branding, you have zero control over. Because to me, branding are the moments you create that the customer engages with your property through and they form their own opinion. So you don't control it, they control it. So it depends on how good you are to allow them to form an opinion that's a creative and interesting about your offering, not the logo and the letterhead and the postcard and the matches
0: and all that stuff. So do you have design firms do the branding? Or is this a completely separate operation?
1: You know, it's funny. I've seen this again and again, and it seems like everybody's getting in every business. I am a fan of separating the responsibilities, architecture, design, and branding, because I truly think that those teams, if chosen correctly, make each other better for the ultimate benefit of you getting a great offering. Exactly. When you throw it all in one, it ends up sort of being hey, we're really good at making meatloaf. So you get meatloaf and design and meatloaf and branding and meatloaf and architecture. I think it'd be interesting to sort of mix them and really get people. And by the way, I am now focusing more on retail as inspiration than hotels. Because to your earlier point, everything is the same. But retail out of necessity had to become innovative to survive because they were dying. By yeah. the way, people say retail is dying. Retail is absolutely not dying. Browsing is dying. Retail is not dying. So you walk into a Nike store, I'm in Portland, Oregon, Nike's here in my backyard. They're not selling you sneakers anymore. You walk into the store, yep. it's like Disneyland. It's an experience. And what they're trying to do is engage you with them, with their brand, to make you a fan, to then say, okay, of course I'm going to buy Nike spirit sneakers. These are amazing. Monocle, a lot of those brands are finally realizing it. And I truly look at retail for inspiration now far more than I do hotels. Because hotels, would become sort of stale. And I think we need a new movement to really change how we do business. Again, not cute. I stayed at a hotel to remain nameless in Nashville, small, tiny little hotel. And I stood out like a sore thumb walking in there with my briefcase and my to me. <laughs> and I say to people, like, if you're doing a model photo shoot in that room, perfect. If you're doing another shoot of some kind, perfect. But I don't need to do human origami to get into my bed. Literally, I'm like, how the f- how do I get into this bed? So, to me, sometimes we get too cute. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intentional, thoughtful, again, proper, great example, design. Really thinking about food and beverage differently. Really thinking about how spaces inspire you differently. I'll give you an example from Proper. Uh, Brian DeLoe is going to owe me a lot of money for giving him. I know. The show. Let's go. Let's, he'll pay up. Yeah. Let's do it. So the most photographed part in the lobby is the stairs, where Kelly took the tiles of uh, Portugal and Spain and did it in carpet and laid it on these stairs. So you look at it and you're like, is it tile? Is it carpet? Like, think about how simple that is, but it's innovative. It was thoughtful and intentional. She's like, I'm not going to do tile. It doesn't fit in this design, but I'm going to take that tile aesthetic into carpet and lay it on the stair. So to me, there are ways and moments to be really innovative. But again, don't do it. Don't go put tile on a floor where it's going to go, I'm going to slip and it's going to be loud and all of that. Just because tile is cool. Think about it differently.
0: So people ask me all the time, hey, I found this cool little 20 hotel. Do you want to buy it? Or an entrepreneur says, hey, I want to do it myself. Can you explain, you know, you said 150 was kind of your sweet spot, how you got into a 25-room hotel in Palm Desert and how you thought about that project?
1: If you come to me and say, hey, I found this great 12-room thing that I want to do somewhere. I'll say, Jake, wait till you make enough money that you're prepared to lose a lot of it, then go do that thing <laughs> in retirement as a hobby. Because they just don't make sense, right? Like, you know, it, it just requires too much work. And if you if you pay yourself minimum wage, you'll lose, given the amount of time you have to spend on them. People underestimate the complexity of hotel operations. It's one of the few businesses open 24-7, 365, and you're dealing... You know, you buy an office building, you lease an office for 20 years, you're done. Apartment, you lease it for a year, you're done. You're leasing every night in a hotel. So the way we get we wrap our brains around that is that we already have the infrastructure, we have the company, we have the we have the staff, we have accounting, we have HR, we have all that stuff. So for us, it's it's easy, right? It's easy to wrap your brain around it. Now the argument is always made. You do the same amount of work on 25 rooms as you do 250 rooms, and it's just far less zeros. But for us, it was a strategic buy. What we wanted to put on the ground in the desert, I think the desert, the Coachella Valley, has a lot more growth opportunity. And our goal eventually was to aggregate, right? end up with 10 of those places and give them sort of centralized service. But if it were one-off, one-time, one-off thing, I probably wouldn't have done it.
0: So in Bentonville, Arkansas, how are you thinking about the guest mix there? Because I think a lot of people are just going to sell Walmart. So what are you designing there and what is your strategy?
1: You'd be surprised, by the way, if you haven't been recently. And I was blown away. I had been in the 90s and then went recently. And it is truly a spectacular town and the arts and the food and beverage scene. And it's become a global destination for mountain biking and, 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 and. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. It truly is a great destination. They have a Soho House like private club arguably better 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 fit really? Lake Street yeah yeah really I mean I can't say enough about it and there's currently only a 21C that crushes it there yep so sure Walmart obviously is the 800 pound gorilla there in terms of employment and reason to go but we really are thinking about beyond just uh, Monday through Friday ro- Monday through Thursday road warriors we're sort of thinking about social off seasons et cetera. We're building a independent hotel that you could pick up and put in New York City or Chicago or DC or Miami or or or, and it would be a formidable offering, regardless. And I think there's enough in the market demand for that higher end, thoughtful, intentional, great design, fantastic F&B. We're doing 135 rooms, and I think the market can handle 10 of those just because of supply and demand. Right. But certainly we'll be we'll be at the top of the market with the 21C giving those who are seeking experiences, not points, not sort of per diem. And there's great... I mean, I love the element there, right? Part of the Marriott brand. I yep. stay there when I go there. It's like easy, convenient. It's not a lifestyle thing. It's, it's super convenient. Gives you all the bells and whistles that you want at an affordable <laughs> yep. rate. And you get points, right? So there's that customer. There'll always be that customer, sort of your, the person you're talking about. But I think there's a lot more in that market to offer for those discerning that are willing to pay a little more. And again, by the way, it's it's funny, I talk about, sorry to interrupt, I talk yeah. about the flyover states and I say, you know, that was a thing back in the day, but the internet has democratized everything. Everyone has good taste and understand what good taste is and understand what good food and beverage is. It's not like people living in the dark ages. So I think anyone who discounts the middle of the country is foolish. And sometimes I say, you know what? Let the REITs and the big private equity firms fight for Miami, LA, and New York. I'm happy to go make money in Bentonville and St. Louis and Kansas City and Des Moines and 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 then. There's a great country out there with amazing cities, with amazing buildings, low cost of entry that justifies the deal to allow you to charge what the market can bear and still make money and not be fighting for every penny in those, you know, primary markets.
0: So you don't think those cool places that became so vogue and on everyone's list during COVID. I think, by the way, as a result of like Austin, Nashville blowing up, you think these places have real runway? Some of these small towns, maybe like Greenville, Raleigh, Bentonville.
1: I think there has to be a reason beyond just, I can't travel to Europe. I need a place to go. I can drive to this place, right? Because that's short-lived. Although I argue that the pandemic has shown us Americans that this country is a spectacular country with lots of places we don't know. I mean, think about if I fly from Seattle to Miami, if I were in Europe, I would have crossed seven countries, right? Right. Right. So this idea that, you know what, we should go to South Dakota and check it out because it's a fantastic place with amazing things to see and, 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 and. So I think the pandemic showed us America is a big place with plenty of beautiful spaces. However, I think the exponential demand that covid created is going to subside some like national parks, right? I say on a scale of one to 10, the national parks on a hype factor, where at a four, the pandemic made them a 14. They're not going back to a four. They're going to go to a seven, right? And eight. So that means those cities that are gateways to that, to the national parks are important and they matter because Jake and his family don't want to go stay in some roadside motel just because they want to go see a national park, give them a good offering. That's consistent with that experience and they'll pay you for it. So I think a lot of those tertiary markets that got a lot of attention because of COVID cannot take their 2021 results and bank on it going forward. I think they need to be realistic and adjust their expectations. So it's a blend between 19 results, 21 results to sort of predict the future. I think they're here to stay. Now, Bentonville, again, we're stuck on that example, different example because there's more demand generators than just drive to tourism. So I think those are here to stay, but some markets that are purely tourism drive-to destinations should definitely be wise to think about what does it look like in a year or two and not take last year record-breaking in every way and assume it's
0: the future. Are these then tent hotel companies and Airstream hotel companies that are adjacent to national parks more of a fad than an actual business because of A-scale B. People are just going to get bored and do something else.
1: Great question, and I have lots of friends in that space. As do you. Whether it's getaway under canvas, collective retreats, they all have amazing offerings. I think they're here to stay. I think there's two problems. One, people underestimated the barrier to entry. You can't just say, "I'm going to go to Yellowstone and throw a few tents in the middle." Like it is not that easy. Thankfully, it's not that easy to protect those amazing open spaces. So the barrier to entry is. Backbreaking, breaking and they're realizing that quickly, so it limits their ability to grow. And because there's, quote-unquote, zero barrier to entry to enter that space, all you need is a couple of bucks on a website, yeah. and one location, you can say, hi, we're in business. I think it's getting crowded, and the creme de la creme will rise to the top. Those that are well-capitalized, that have a sound business plan, that can create scale quickly, will survive. Many will fold. Many will get combined and merged. I think, again, it's here to stay, the concept. But again, the pandemic created exponential demand. And those who thought that was sustainable long-term are going to end up losing because it's not sustainable long-term.
0: Do you guys do all the food and beverage in your hotel or do you partner with people? Generally
1: speaking, historically we said hotel people do only one thing to food and beverage and that's screw it up, right? <laughs> so early days, we were stupid to think that leases were the path yep. because leases gave us a false sense of security. And whether that chef or, or entrepreneur signs their first born and car and house as collateral, you're not going to foreclose on them, right? So we gave up on this idea of a lease, unless you're like Landry's and you want to be my tenant, okay, you're a credit tenant. Anything other than that doesn't matter. right? right? So then we went to the management agreement thing and we felt the management agreement is somewhat one-sided, like they have no dog in the fight. Even with an incentive management fee, it didn't feel like the right structure. The best deals we've ever done are JVs, where I find Jake, who's a number two at a great restaurant, who's a rising star. He's doing all the work, getting none of the attention or accolades. And I'll go to Jake and I'll say, okay, Jake, let's go. I'm going to set you up in business. You're going to be my partner. I'm not only going to pay you a salary while you're doing the work, but you're my partner. And once you're able to get this place on its feet and stop being the chef or the GM or whatever, you stop taking that salary, let's go do another or another together. Those have been the best for me. And I think, again, they, they accomplish all of the goals. And you know, again, like I said, you take someone, a rising star, and you give them a chance and you make them successful, By definition, you've succeeded because it's not, you know, F&B, you you have plenty of your own. We can destroy it in F&B and our margin is 10%. It just doesn't move the needle. I'd rather someone else destroy it and me get 5% and have a fantastic offering than do 10% and have a mediocre offering. So to me, creativity in the food and beverage world, whatever the format is, I'm not stuck on lease, management agreement, JV, employee. But I want a partner, I don't want an employee. I want someone to be side by side with me. Let me do what I do well. let them do what they do well again, you know chefs, they don't want to deal with h R and accounting and all right. that' will say We got all that off your hand. You go do you and we got the rest of it.
0: So can any chef do this? Or are you finding the guys with a restaurant that have kind of built it before that maybe don't have the resources or the back office to expand? Or are you literally finding a rising star in a kitchen and saying, you cook, I'll kind of figure out everything else for you?
1: We've done both. Obviously, it's easier if someone has had the experience in being more than just a chef working 80 hours a week, yeah. right? Because yeah. then they're single skill, And you want someone with a bit broader understanding of what it takes to run a business, not just sit there and cook, because then they're an overpaid cook. You don't need that. I want a partner. So they don't have to have done their own restaurant, but maybe they have to have been in a place that exposed them to all it takes to run a restaurant. There's really not a hard and fast rule. It's pretty situation and person dependent. But I have done the grab the rising star, who's a nobody who's in the middle of the kitchen and and put their name on the door, so to speak, and give them the creative freedom to do what they do. I've done that too successfully. So it really depends on the
0: situation. You mentioned third party, and that's where people manage hotels for someone else. And the hotel business is so hard, and a lot of people fail to realize this because of Hilton and Marriott, and they've gotten so big. But do you need to get into third party in order to scale your management business today?
1: I mean, unless you have a fund or access to funds to grow meaningfully, it's just hard. You know, That's why, by the way, management companies, left, right, and center, mergers and acquisitions, mergers and acquisitions, and the big keeps getting bigger. Because it's a hard business to make money out at the end of the day. So if you do both and you're an owner operator, you know how hard it is until you get to scale. So you're either going to get to scale on your own dime, or you have to do third party. And as you know, third party sometimes for people like you and I, I sort of say we're terrible employees, right? Like it's tough. If you want me, if you if you want me as a third party, I now I'm the owner. Get out of the way. I gotcha, right? Because I think like an owner, and you should be happy about that. But not everybody is comfortable playing that role. So I would say. If you intend on growing on your own at a sustainable pace, most importantly to keep talent, because you you have five hotels, you have a rising star, you can only take him or her so far before they get bored and you lose them, and that's the hardest thing is losing the talent. So either you're growing on your own enough to satisfy all this, or you have to get into third party. Now, don't get into third party that's soul-crushing, that's going to ruin the culture of your company. You have to be selective in what you do.
0: Are mergers and acquisitions something that you've looked at recently?
1: I mean, for us, we're sort of essentially startup and small. We've been approached a lot, but most of the people that have approached us, approach us, they're really looking to hire me and not merger. I'm like, I'm not big enough for a merger and I'm not for hire. But you know, there's a lot of people that realize that this alchemy, I call it. In our shop, we sort of say, we have really three legs to our stool, the management company. We have alchemy, magic fairy dust. I can't give you a book on it. There is no book on it. Right. Alchemy, people, clearly at the center, and then optimization, everything else, like figuring out truly what our revenue management looks like and what tech systems to use and all the things that others can do. But it seems like all the machines, the big companies, have got the optimization grade, but they have zero alchemy. And I think in most cases, they miss out on the people piece. So the question is, if you can find the right fit third party to fit in your those boxes that allow you the flexibility to do those. Like I don't want to go manage for a third party who says, screw the employees, we don't care, no break room, cut this. I'm not no. interested, thank right. you. And that say, here's uh whatever, a vanilla box, run it, and here's the rule book. No, that that's I'm not the right guy for that. Go hire great companies, Aimbridge, any of those guys. They'll do a much better job than we can. But if you want personalization and alchemy, magic fairy dust, that's the only thing I can explain, to take something that's otherwise meh and make it great, that's where we shine. That's what you do. I mean, what we do, what you and I do, isn't about the building. You can give me any building. It's got to be comfortable and safe and clean table stakes. We take that building and make it far more valuable than any middle of the fairway operator who's going to come in and make the trains run on time. That's important, but that's not where our skill set comes. That gets you in the game again. We're in the game of creating incremental value because, you know, I use this example all the time. Value is a perception. Doesn't what matter what something costs. What matters is what is someone willing to pay for it? And what they're willing to pay for it is a function of really alchemy. Why is an Hermes bag $30,000 and a coach bag $300? Right. Because it's alchemy, it's magic. It's scarcity. It's a feeling you have when you carry it. That's yep. all it is. At the end of the day, it's an Hermes. Please don't hate me. It's the same bag, right? Maybe it's a better cut of leather, but it's the same bag.
0: One's so made by hand bring... and one's maybe sewn, but yeah, it's the same bag. Sure. But if you
1: if you take a building and Hermes it versus Coach it, that's the magic.
0: So, okay, you can't tell me like how you create alchemy, but I have been to a lot of hotels recently where they're first-time hoteliers, maybe they're a wealthy person, a billionaire, and they open this hotel. In the hotels that you've been at, what do people miss most often? Oof, that is a great question.
1: I think people, in my experience, I feel that when you build a hotel, open a hotel, you, it can't be for you if you want it to be a viable economic venture this can't be a hobby right it can be if you want it to be but don't force your views on me don't lock my thermostat at 67 because you think that's what's going to save the planet i'm paying you for it let me make that decision don't restrict my water pressure in the shower don't don't it seems to me like sometimes we feel like you know it's funny i was talking about airbnb earlier yeah. i feel like some hotel owners think of themselves like airbnb hosts and here's the clear distinction I, I, I identify between Airbnb and hotels. When you go to an Airbnb, 100% of the time, it is about the host. Their rules, their regulations, What do you, you're like there to please the host. Yep. When you come to a hotel, it's 100% about you. Zero about the hotel, it's about you. What can I do to make you more comfortable? What do you need? Yes, 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 yes. So I feel like some, hotel, some people who've gone into the business recently want to box you into their box. That's not how it works. It's not about you, right? So I think that's what people miss the most is they inject their opinion in everything they do and their views, and they want you to follow. It's almost like saying, we're a Jewish hotel. You have to follow (laughs) the Jewish one. Yeah. I'm glad you're Jewish (laughs) and you believe that way, but that's not how it works. Or we're Unless you want to say "We're, we're LGBT only. Got it. Perfect. Then we know exactly what I'm getting. I may choose you or not choose you on that. But don't try to be everything to everyone and then try to sort of limit everything through your narrow focus. Right. That's why I think it can be egotistical and be done well, but most of the time it's not. And the great example I use of sort of person-centric offering that's spectacular is Children Firehouse in London, Andre Balas, but he's a hotelier, like he's an experienced hotelier. So when he went to do that, like I tell people, when I go into that hotel, you could feel neurotic thinking. Andre Belaz spent probably a week figuring out what that light switch should feel like when you touch it and flip it. Like that to me is thoughtful based on a person, but thoughtful. But again, it's not designed to make me suffer through the process because he thought this was better than that.
0: What else about that hotel makes it so good and iconic? Other than the light switches. The
1: attention attention to detail, the quality, the way it feels. It's an old fire station converted to a hotel that has 30 some rooms. Just the people, the uniforms, the vibe. Honestly, it's alchemy. Like I can't tell you. I walk in, I'm like, damn, this feels good. Like it has a certain thing about it that makes it feel so good. Look, it probably has the look of the Soho house, sort of this library British thing, but it felt really, really good. So that's the beauty of a lot of those places is how they make you feel. And you can't put your finger on it.
0: What about exclusivity and scarcity? You know, another one would be hotel cost. Like you can't really make a reservation for the restaurant, Chiltern Firehouse. I'm sure people have stories about trying to get in and not. I think
1: exclusivity works initially and then people move on. At some point, people are like, okay, this is too cute. It's too hard to get in. Forget it. I think that only works for a little while, but it does work. Here's what exclusivity does. It brings the tastemakers first, which then create hype about the place. But at some point, people are like, screw it. This is just too much. I'm not interested. I think if you do it well, it doesn't have to be so exclusive. The problem is it's the chicken and the egg. You do it so well, it becomes so popular, it becomes exclusive. It is exclusive. But that's essentially a good problem to have because you've done it so well, you've executed so flawlessly. Again, another quote of mine that I love is, execution eats strategy for breakfast. Yep. We all dream about doing all this crap and it looks great on paper and business plans and design and all of that. Ultimately, you are as good as your night auditor who's standing at the desk alone at 3am when I show up from a delayed flight and I say I'm hungry and he or she says, the restaurant's closed, hold on one second, runs in the back and brings me a salad and says, Hey, we had this in the fridge, all yours, on us. Like that to me is the win. It's not how many awards you've won and number one on Condé Nast and all that crap because that's all crap at the end of the day. The moment of truth is that moment at 3 a.m. at the front desk, alone, one-on-one.
0: So these table stakes that you keep talking about, I think you're taking them a little bit for granted because probably a lot of people screw them up. When you're coming up with a new hotel, whether it's Arkansas or Palm Desert or another hotel in your portfolio, are there elements that must be in the hotel. And I know you don't want to get down to a formula, but where you're like behind the scenes, telling the designer, like, listen, I need this coffee shop here right by the lobby or I need my shower like this. Is there anything like that?
1: I mean, look, there's sort of, I throw things in five categories that must have non-negotiable. Like those are table stakes. The sleep experience holistically. The mattress, the pillows, the sheets, how dark the room gets, the alarm clock, the green light on the smoke detector that should be hidden, like the the sleep experience, again, holistically, the bathroom experience, lighting, water pressure, the towels, the amenities, all the things that go into it. Service, clearly, number one, all the things that go into that. Wi-Fi, are we really still talking about Wi-Fi? Like if you don't have gig service direct fiber (laughs) into the hotel... Just go home, close and go home, literally close and go home. Like that's become like electricity. You can't tell me, well, the electricity works eight hours a day, but then it's on. No, it's internet all the time. And then last but not least is sort of this whole technology piece, in-room technology. Forget the iPads and all that business. Like. Make sure you have the right channels. Make sure when I'm turning through the channels, there's not five channels that are empty in the middle that don't work. Make sure the TV is the right TV. By the way, pet peeve, make sure the remote has a sleep button on it. I like to leave the TV on and have like simple things that go a long way. Those non-negotiable don't talk about it. And it's funny because that list keeps growing now. Good F&B. Jake, don't brag you have good F&B. It's mandatory. You can't get
0: away without it. Like you have to have it. So does at that mean a really, restaurant? Like what What does F&B mean?
1: At least a good bar. Because in the in today's world, in the post-made days, I don't really need you to have a spectacular three meal a day covering every food group I could dream of. But you better have a really good bar where I can sit and get a burger if I want to or a salad if I want to. The menu can have five things on it. It doesn't matter. But they better be really, really, really good. Like that's not, that is a table steak now. And it's funny, like good art is a table stick, but what is good art? That's more subjective than objective. The items I gave you arguably are all objective. Like a good sleep experience is a good sleep experience. Not many people can argue about it. You may like soft, I may like firm mattress, but fundamentally the experience is objective. The subjective things are what differentiates you now. The art, the branding, service levels are objective, but service style is subjective, I think. Like Somebody wants formal, somebody not wants formal. So this is this in emotional intelligence again. So a lot of people miss on those things to your point. Yep. Like, like really? Like, I, I, I'm in a corner room and there's no internet because there's not another access point. <laughs> do you want me to give you a hundred bucks to add another access point? Luxury hotel. It is mind numbing to me how many simple table stakes people miss. So you're absolutely right. It's Even though they're table stakes, I'm not suggesting that everybody understands their value and how to do them.
0: Last place I want to go, you said on this assembly you are investing in brands, ideas, maybe real estate that you like. Anything recently that comes to mind that you think the viewers would find interesting?
1: This is not an investment. I'm an advisor and have equity in the company. A company called Remo.Club. Remo is Remo in remote. Their proposition out of Ukraine, by the way, amazing fellow YPOers, Jake and I are in a group together called YPO. So this company says, Jake, you're a digital nomad. You're going to Cancun to hang out for the season and you want to work. You sit on the beach. The Wi-Fi doesn't work. It's too loud. It's too sunny. You can't do a Zoom call. You can't leave your computer alone. It's a miserable experience. Right. Yet there are 15 million digital nomads in North America alone. 15 million. And that number is growing. So their proposition is the following. We're going to take your pool deck, your beachside, whatever extra release estate you have that, that that isn't working, and we're going to put it to work for you. We're going to create those, you know, the desert X at the mirror house. Imagine like a cube of glass, one-way mirror out. You can see out, but not in. Fully air conditioned, sit, stand up desk, et cetera. Herman Miller chair, gig internet. Check all the boxes, right, that wow. you can rent for the day lock the door, leave your stuff behind. You're sitting inside this box working, watching the beach. You want to take a break? You go sit outside at the whatever, get a drink, back in, you can rent it for an hour, you can rent it for a day. So that to me, what's really interesting about this company is they found a bona fide problem, found an elegant solution for it. And for you, hotel owner, costs you nothing. We do a revenue share model. We'll make your hotel more attractive because now the digital nomads is going to choose you. And listen, you and I on vacation with our kids, I need to take a call. You know, it's funny. I'm going to digress for a second here. We keep talking about hybrid spaces, right? I say, forget hybrid spaces. We are now hybrid humans. I don't know about you, but I don't go anywhere or do anything for just one thing. Like I don't go on vacation just to go on vacation. I don't go to work just to go to work. I want to be able to live my entire life in a continuum, no matter where I am and what I do. So if I go to a resort and I want to take a call, make it easy for me. Look at human behavior. Go stand at your resort, Mister Owner, for a day in the corner and watch. I promise you'll find twenty people. All these guys walking the from pool. the sun, yeah, right, ducking from the sun, trying to figure out where the internet works, solve their problem. You'll make them happy. You'll create loyalty and make some money along the way. So, to me, innovative things like that really get me excited because I think these are smart people solving real life problems. And, you know, you want to make money, find a niche and fill it or find a problem and fix it. So that's one example of things that I think are innovative that are not trending out of the moment because Digital Nomad, that movement is here to stay, as you know. And a lot of us are going to go there eventually, even though we don't think it's real right now. It's going to be a part of life, whether we like it or not.
0: Yeah, along that, I think on-demand little whatever you want to call them, Zoom rooms, a little podcast room, a little meeting room where you can go up to a door. It's in a cool space. You could swipe your card. It's close to where kind of your family is or where you want to be off the lobby. It's a huge opportunity. There's all these wasted spaces in hotels. It just seems like a no-brainer to me.
1: Kind of like those pods that you see now at airports popping up, right? Yep, like That's exactly. the perfect use for a hotel and you'll make extra money. And in this case, this one company that I mentioned, they're taking all the capital expense. It doesn't cost you anything. But it doesn't cost you anything. You solve a problem, you give an amenity, and you can make a couple of bucks along the way. Life is good.
0: It's awesome. All right. I have one closing question that I ask all my guests. So this is gonna be probably one of the greatest answers I'm gonna get. So oh, I'm crap. Going to, you know, hold your breath, okay? What is your favorite hotel in the world?
1: Oh. I knew you were going to go there. This is, again, like your favorite child, huh? That's right. I am going to go with the Aman in Tokyo.
0: Wow. Good choice.
1: Service. Service. I mean, I was going to throw Amangiri at you. I was going to throw, I don't know, the Silo in Cape Town. But what what are they doing Amman. from a
0: service standpoint that is so memorable?
1: My favorite kind of service is invisible service. Like I feel if I wanted to sneeze, a napkin shows up in front of my nose. But I don't ask for it. Like it just shows up when you want it. And when I don't want it, I feel like I'm alone and I own the place. And you know, part of it is the Japanese thing too, which to me is spectacular, this sort of humble servant mentality. I just think they get service right. The building sure it's beautiful, great, marble, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? But I feel like the service truly is one of a kind. And hopefully the Aman reputation continues across the globe and obviously with different ownership now. But, you know, Amangiri in the U.S. is probably one of
0: my favorite hotels in the U.S.
1: That's more setting than service, though, interestingly enough. Yes. I'll keep the answer short. I'm also, also, I think
0: the highest RevPar hotel in the world.
1: Is Amangiri. Yes. Th- 32 rooms, pandemic driven. I bet you in 2019, it was not the highest.
0: It was not.
1: So does that continue?
0: Maybe. Maybe it might. Where can people find you? You're very active. You're out there. Where can we learn more about you?
1: I am literally on everything. Uh, LinkedIn, obviously, is probably the most for sort of business related. And then Instagram, I am an overposter. But I have a domain called uh, www.hotelier.life that has all
0: my things on it. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you for joining me on Masters of Moments. This was a lot of fun. Jake, always a pleasure hanging with your friend. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone, it's Jake here. Thanks again for joining me on this conversation. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Lastly, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Jay I'll see you in the next episode. Jake Worzak is the founder and CEO of Dove Hill Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Jake and his guests are solely their own and
1: do not reflect the opinions of Dove Hill Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not reflect or represent real estate, financial, or investment advice.